Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Eric Press, a name partner at Benero and Press. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Nicole. Nice to be with you. For 16 years, Eric was the editor-in-chief of The American Lawyer, and then its parent company, ALM Media. He's a leading journalistic observer and commentator in the world of large law firms and their clients. Prior to joining The American Lawyer, Eric spent 19 years at Newsweek as a writer and editor. Eric, I've given our listeners a glimpse into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us some insight into your work at Bonero Impress? Yes, uh, happy to. I left the American Lawyer and uh, Journalism a year and a half ago, I was lucky enough to be born at a time when uh, journalism was a, and publishing in general were active and going concerns. Uh, the last three years of my of my tenure at ALM, every meeting I was in was a budget meeting, no matter what the uh, what the official agenda called for. So it was it was time to go. Now I find myself one of four partners at Bernero and Press working directly with law firms. Uh, law firms became an area of expertise of mine as an outsider at the American Lawyer. Now we get to work uh, from the inside on strategy, on business development, on crisis communications, and, and my personal favorite, uh, client relationships and feedback work. Before we dive into the questions, can you expand on that client feedback type work? I'm assuming that's possibly doing independent interviews of clients, uh, law firm clients. Yes, that's exactly right. I and a couple of my partners have been retained uh, over the last year by several law firms to go out and talk with groups of their key clients, usually organized around some sort of a theme uh, the 10 fastest growing, the 10 slowest growing, the 10 biggest, what have you, to inquire into, one, how the law firm is performing, uh, two, are there any problems, but three, and probably most important, where their clients uh, see themselves now and in the short-term future, you know, looking out 18 months, where are they headed, what are they worried about, what potential legal issues or legal problems do they anticipate? It allows for a conversation that's part report card, very important, but also gives you a window into what an, a key client is thinking about for their future and can help you can help my clients prepare to serve them better. Fantastic. Definitely heard that from others. There is much more of a focus talking about non-matter related business topics. Get beyond the legal matter. Talk about the business that the client's in. That's exactly right. And it's right for two reasons, at at least for two reasons. One is an indication to the client that the law firm uh, really cares about the relationship. If they're taking the trouble to send a fellow like me or one of my partners, you know, halfway across the country or into the 212 area code, it's an indication of, uh, you know, as the first President Bush said, message, we care. And in this climate and competitive market, it is a good message to deliver. Secondly, 
lawyers, and that's principally who the, the clients are, general counsel and their key deputies who are hiring outside counsel, they see themselves, of course, as lawyers. But once they go in-house and have senior positions, they're not only lawyers. They're confronted with problems that are as much business problems as they are legal problems. They need to look at their issues in a much broader context than they often did when they worked in major law firms. That's a very important lesson for law firms to, to be reminded of. Many know it, but they need to be reminded that what their clients are really looking for uh, is not only a get out of jail free pass, I say that jocularly, but they're looking for a solution to a business problem. And the way to address to address their business problems is to talk with them about their business issues. I interviewed Pierre Gentin from Cahill, and he had been general counsel at Credit Suisse. He made a similar comment. The lawyers that he wanted to engage with as general counsel were those that asked about the business. It was so important. He's now become part of Cahill to really talk with the partners he's working with about the conversations with the clients are about the client's business and are about the client, the issues that that client is either facing today or might be facing in the future based on trends. He recently wrote something about that as well. That might be a non-obvious point when partners are first starting to work with clients. They tend to go out and focus on the legal issues or have legal conversations. They really should be those business conversations. Exactly right. And it's not like the market is inundated with these efforts. I've done more than 60 of these conversations with clients over the last year, and I've yet to confront a client who one minded being asked their opinion about either the law firm or their problems, or two, where they had been asked very often, if ever, by other law firms to engage in these processes. This is a differentiator still. It's hard to believe that given in the rest of the business world, talking with your customers about how you're doing and where they're headed is standard operating procedure. It is not yet standard operating procedure in major law firms and law firms that do it. And that includes some of the biggest and most successful law firms in the nation and the world benefit from it. No, I absolutely see that. I think the trusted advisor relationship was reserved as one of the last relationships where this type of evaluation hasn't been done as regularly. But of course, we're hearing more and more about it. Primarily, I would suggest because of the fact that boutique firms are in the market, they're going after some of that business. Alternative providers of legal advice, Axiom and others are there also. So it's become more competitive. I would say that's probably a, a good reason for a law firm to really take that extra step and hear from the clients. A business practice that is more common sense as you've experienced hearing about the business of law and both growing a book of business in law and retaining clients. Are there specific strengths or habits that you've seen or identified as being critical for success in both acquiring new business in the legal space as well as retaining clients? I think there are. There is no one best practice uh, and different lawyers and other professionals go about this in different ways. What they have in common is developing trust 
and a trusting relationship is slightly different. And then the difference is that you, in the nature of your work for a client, a lawyer will have an opportunity to impress the client with skill and responsiveness and cleverness and, and all of the rest. But that's only part of it. The second and important part is to understand what it is the client needs and how it is the client cares to be served and addressed. And then third, what I've heard both from clients and lawyers is that part of the relationship is to make it ongoing. I live in New York. New York is a very busy place. And in New York, friendship is having lunch with someone once a year. Well, if you're a customer who's spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars with a law firm, uh, you might like to have lunch or a cup of coffee or just a visit once a year from a smart lawyer to talk about your needs and what's on your mind and how things are going. And what, if anything, the lawyer or, or his or her law firm might be able to help you with. This is something that requires, you know, work. Some very successful rainmakers are obsessive about it. They come to their office each day with a list of one, two, three, four people they're going to contact that day out of the blue. They're on their, what used to be known as a Rolodex for the for the young people in the audience, it's a list of names. And either randomly or alphabetically or however they do it, uh, each day they send them a note or give them a phone call or clip an item they think might be of interest that they saw in the journal or the Times or the Washington Post that day. They work at staying in touch. They do not expect that each contact, in fact, they know that each contact doesn't lead to work. But this is about maintaining relationships. And one thing that I have learned in the last year and a half of being on the inside is that law firm client uh, retention remains a relationship business. And by relationship, I don't mean that you went to the same prep school or that you play tennis at the same country club, although I suppose that can, could help. It means having a business relationship that is thoughtful and nurtured. That pays off. Great point. And let's dig in on one or two of those points. You started by saying a trusting relationship and then creating an ongoing relationship. One of the things that I've found in business, and I'm involved in another business in the financial industry, I do look to meet the people I'm doing business with at least once before we have a formal contract or, or actually exchange something of value. As long as I touch base with those folks, either by phone or through some electronic communication, that we are starting to develop our relationship. I do push for that face-to-face -face meeting, either if I met them at a conference, that might suffice. I also schedule an appointment and go in and, and meet with them. Do you think that that regular face-to-face -face contact, once the relationship is established, is necessary? Or do you think you can create a trusting relationship via email, text, and phone, social media communication beyond that first meeting where you meet the person and look them in the eye? The truthful answer, Nicole, is that it depends. It depends on the lawyer, the service provider, and it depends on the, the client. There are some clients who really would 
rather not be bothered. Uh, they're very busy. They're on the some. They're somewhere on the autism spectrum. They don't enjoy face to face. It's important for lawyers to develop this, the ability to read the situation and meet the client where the client is. Um, there's this first year law school bromide. They teach you in tort law that take your plaintiff as he comes. For clients, substitute the word client for plaintiff. If you are going to have a sustained relationship, though, it's very important that you not waste the time of the client. You know, it's one thing if you're a personal friend. There's less and less of that going on. If this is primarily a business relationship, yes, go and see the client customer over the course of an hour's worth of lunch or talking, be sure to ask about the spouse and children and an ailing parent. But that's not what you're there for primarily, other than to show that you have some modicum of human decency. What you're there for is to talk with the client about what's on his or her mind. So you want to go in there with a few things. You want to know something about what the client has been up to uh, over the last six months and have something to say about it. Or better yet, have some questions to ask because even lawyers learn more with their mouths closed than with their mouths open. Clients have laughed. uh, They've told me about these meetings, these elaborately staged meetings uh, that they have uh, with incumbent law firms, where at the end they wonder what was the point of this. Yes, I got to meet your new partner who I will never see again because uh, she's been assigned to your Shanghai office and we don't do any work in Asia. That was very nice of you. Thanks. Thanks. It's much better to have, and I hate to sound so, so primitive, but this is what clients tell me. They encounter people who come for a visit who don't have much to say to them aren't prepared with any interesting questions or insight. Then they spend, you know, the hour, uh, and then everybody shakes hands and, and, and goes away. That's not relationship building. That's wasting people's time. You had written that doing research and coming in with something that would have value to the client. And I would say in today's world, when we have access to so much information, even if a client would appreciate if you came to a meeting with a piece of information that might be helpful to them, even if it's not, the fact that you took the time to do some research and to come to a meeting with some insightful questions and a piece of information that would be of value to them, even if it wouldn't immediately impact their world, they would still say, wow, that person prepared for this conversation. Is that a strategy you would recommend? Yes, I think that's very sound. And because lawyers are busy, even in this market, because lawyers are busy, they may not have the time to do the research themselves. But that's one of the reasons God invented marketing departments and intelligence specialists. They can ask uh, with a decent amount of notice. I'm I'm going to have lunch with the general counsel of Acme Corps. Get me the last 10 days worth of news clippings on them and pull their latest 10K and and what have you. Now, of course, if Acme Corps is one of the firm's 25 biggest clients, one would expect that the firm would have a page, an internal wiki on each of their 25 biggest clients. 
so that the partner could go there and get an immediate briefing. That's in a perfect world. Absolutely. You know, I can't imagine going into a meeting having not looked at the website of a company, the LinkedIn profile of the person. I would hope that a partner going in to visit a client is curious enough to actually do some of that research or have it done. And frankly, at this point, I think it might be easier just to do it on their own, right? It takes five minutes or 10 minutes to sit down and look at it. The good news in all of this, so this doesn't sound like a parade of horribles, many successful lawyers do this automatically, whether they have a system or not, or if it's almost intuitive for some of them, they know how to do this. It's a reason why they're so successful. This is, What I'm preaching to is to the group of lawyers and law firms for whom this isn't second nature. And in this marketplace, if it's not second nature, you've got to develop these skills because the last thing you want to be in, in, in this day and age is a mid-career, very smart and successful lawyer who doesn't have any clients of his or her own, except at a handful of firms where there's such appreciation for high-skilled, high-quality lawyers who don't, who can't generate business, that they're immune. It's much better and safer to have your own clients or to have your own relationships with firm clients. Not only is that true for reasons of internal politics, it's also true for reasons of professional satisfaction. It, unless what you want to be is a pure mechanic where you are screwing and unscrewing uh, portions of the, ta- uh, of the tax code without having any interpersonal contact, part of the fun and satisfaction of being a lawyer at the top of your game is to be there when the client calls in a jam and and is turning to you for help. What greater sense of gratification of what your mama told you, just how smart and capable you were than that? There's a lot of factors there, Eric. To have control over your career, you need to have brought in those clients, to have those client relationships, to be able to show that these are ways that you've helped your firm grow as a firm. To the point you just made, you are there and you are the person that they are saying help them through a business problem or is helping them grow their business or make a business improvement and make sure they're doing that responsibly. That is a huge factor. Many of these folks get into the law because there's likely both a true desire to make sure that things are done legally, but also to help their clients. If I was a new partner starting this journey, working well in the service side of the business, I've learned my area of practice. I might have an industry focus. What tactical best practices would you suggest? You mentioned one earlier. There are those partners that come in every morning and call five clients. That's their number. Are there other tactical best practices that you would suggest are strong ones that a a partner just starting this process could implement? There are the standard ones and they're, they're standard because they work. You get in touch with the people you went to college with, uh, some of whom are going to be entrepreneurs who are going to be starting businesses and are going to need help. Uh, you join boards. You're not going to start out on the city symphony board. You may start out on the local community board, but it's a way both to raise your profile and a way to meet other similarly situated folks in the business world. 
you do volunteer work uh, in, in the hopes of not only learning your skills, but learning how, polishing your ability to work with clients and get the attention of members of the board of the group that made the referral to you. You uh, write, you speak, you find ways to go out, ways that you're comfortable with. For God's sakes, don't do things that you're not comfortable with because that will show and who wants to hire somebody who, who seems so uncomfortable in a setting. But find ways to demonstrate to the world that you are a competent, serious, trustworthy person whose opinion you would like to hear on matters of, 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 of importance to you. So that's what you do. I, I, I'm afraid it's not hugely revolutionary. You know, in 10 years ago, when, when people were discovering blogs, you could start writing blogs. And five years ago, you could uh, start writing tweets and you would be ahead of the game. But those are all sort of common areas now. But when you're doing all of this, it, again, like visiting a client, a bit of a point. Who are you trying to get in front of? How are you trying to raise your profile? I mean, if you're doing community service, that's a good in and of itself, and you don't need any other uh, reason for doing that. And lawyers ought to do that. But if you're doing other things in order to raise your profile, it would be good if you were trying to raise your profile in front of people who might someday have an opportunity to hire you as opposed to a you know random acts of uh, profile raising that won't that won't lead you anywhere. That is a really good point through a group that I belong to, a mastermind type group. The point was made that even in our social media practices, being somewhat cautious as to where you comment and where you like and what you share. If you're all over sharing articles on all different topics outside of your profession on LinkedIn and other places, it confuses the message. Consistency in how you're going about using that media or consistency in what you're speaking on. I interviewed from Bond, John Ho. He's become somewhat of an authority on a particular topic. And he only speaks on that because he wants to continue to establish himself in that area. You know, there's something to that, an organized approach to how he's presenting himself to the market. Yes. And again, it's something that some people can do on their own and other people need advice. You should either turn to inside or outside marketing and business development experts to review your plans, to review how you pr present yourself, to review your messaging uh, and strategy. It's not meant to be casual. It can look casual and relaxed, but it's not meant to be casual. It's very consistent with other points we've heard. You can't just wing this and have it be successful. Very few people can. It goes along with the reason I don't like the term rain making. No one actually makes rain. Anyone can do it as long as they spend the time and learn what's going to work for them in the market. Eric, next question has to do with, you know, how the market has changed. In your opinion, how has business development changed due to changing market conditions? So at the beginning of our talk here, you talked about how you were sitting in a lot of meetings where budget became very consuming. I do think in a lot of law firms today, the market's changing and they're having to really look at how they're structuring the business side of the firm. The financial side of how the law firm operates is probably becoming a very large time-consuming part of partner meetings. But in your opinion, how has business development changed due to changing market conditions? 
You know, again, it depends on the lawyer, the law firm, and the and the client base. Great many clients that have reduced the number of law firms they've used and or brought more of their work in-house, expanded their in-house capabilities and or look to other alternative service providers, be they accountants or temp agencies or technology wizards to get some of their work done that previously had gone to bill by the hour lawyers. I know I'm not answering your question directly, but there's a point here, I think. On the other hand, there are a great many clients who have not engaged in that, who for one reason or another, and it often has to do with who their CFO is and what their opinions might be, who have not been allowed to increase their uh, legal spending in-house, who have not been able to experiment with alternative providers because they don't have the time to, to do that, who still are dependent on their outside law firms. So the way in which it's changed depends on the client and the pressures that the individual clients are under. So you have to, and I know I'm not answering this in a, in a simple and direct way because the message is consistent to a degree repetitive with what I've been saying right along. You need to identify who your clients are, what their needs and preferences are, and then attempt to fulfill them. We've had folks talk about the fact that, you know, there's new things coming into the market with technology, with drones, with security, cybersecurity concerns, and new areas of law or legal practices coming into play to really address those things. A year and a half in your new world at Bonero Impress, what do you enjoy most about the work you're doing? I'm enjoying the candor of the conversations that I'm in. I, over you know, the 15 years I was at, at American Lawyer, I got to know a great many lawyers and had a lot of honest conversations. But now that I'm no longer in publishing, and now that I'm being called in to help people with problems that are pinching and that they perceive that I can help ease, the directness of the conversations has markedly improved, and I enjoy being part of that. I enjoy being trusted with that information and have enjoyed, perhaps even more than I thought I would, trying to help really smart people solve difficult and lingering problems. I have to agree. I feel we do some of that at left foot. It's a nice feeling to know that smart people on the receiving side appreciate getting insight from someone else. Strong interview. Thank you. Very informative. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? I'm bullish on the future of law firms, very bullish on the future of law firms, because I don't see clients turning away from them, and I don't see any other service replace them. And the second thing I would say is not to be afraid to ask for help. Eric, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you, Nicole. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Oh, 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 oh,